And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Yes, it's a Friday afternoon, which means, of course, it's time to welcome into the studio once again from Envision Financial, Luke Smith. How quickly does Friday come around? It's like every other day's Friday, and we were only saying last week, if the weather's lovely next Friday, we should pre-record and both go away. So <laughs> yes. maybe we should do that. We should have been doing that. That's right. We should have been doing that, but instead we're stuck here in the studio. But the weather looks like it's going to remain pretty nice over the weekend, so that's the positive side. Today we're going to talk about what happens to my super when I retire. And I figured, mm. well, that's pretty obvious. You spend it, don't you? Yeah, look, 100%. Yeah, someone who's pro-spend within reason. Um, this topic has really sort of just been been building up over the last two weeks because I've heard some weird and wonderful assumptions around what happens when you actually do retire. So today we're just going to try and sort of demystify some assumptions and then just talk through the processes and the things you do and don't have to do and also then touch on, well, what is retirement? Because I've also heard some weird and wonderful sort of theories there this week as well. Well, I'm going to start at the very obvious point where I think there might be a lot of people that assume that once you reach the point of retirement and you're no longer contributing money to the superannuation account, what you do then is take it all out. Is mm. that necessarily the case? No, not at all. And I think the, the big takeout from today is it really depends on what you're trying to do. So to be able to access your super, you must meet a condition of release. It's a really fancy way of saying, I have retired. But what does that mean? That says, I've put my hand up and I've said to my super fund, hey, I have ceased gainful employment. Now, the definition of retirement under 60 says, I've ceased gainful employment and I do not intend to work for more than 10 hours a week ever again. If you cease gainful employment from 60 onwards, all you have to say is that a form of gainful employment has ended. Now, this causes some confusion because... There's always one person that'll come in and go, what if I've got two jobs? Mm -hmm. Happy days. Let's say you're over 60, you've got two jobs, you've been doing them for a while, they're legitimate employment, and you cease one of them. That is enough to allow you to access your superannuation as if you have retired from all of them, even though you've still got gainful employment in one of your occupations. What does that do? That opens up the door to saying, okay, what would I now like to do with my benefits? Do I have to cash them out? No. Do I have to start a pension? No. Do I pay tax taking out the money over 60? The answer is no. So when it comes to retirement, what actually happens is the assets in your fund continue to be there. They continue to go up and down with market movements and you'll continue to get dividends and franking credits depending on the types of investments that you hold and the underlying uh, asset allocation that you maintain <coughs> that addresses how you feel about risk. What people then come in and say is, but how do I actually do this? And that's where I find there's a, a sort of grand canyon from, okay, at last I'm done, this is awesome. Now I'd like to do A, B and C with my life. How do I fund that? And what you can do is you can access your benefits from super as a lump sum. So I've got a million dollars in super, let's say, and I need 70,000 a year to meet my living costs. Now I find if you can get a really good handle on what your fixed expenses are outside of some holidays and some miscellaneous stuff, it's a lot easier for somebody like me to then be able to say, well, what do we need to generate? How are we going to generate it? And then the question I always get is, do I have enough and how long will it last? Coming in and saying to me, can I retire? 
without knowing how much you need is a bit like saying to a builder, how much does a house cost? He's going to have or she's going to have some questions around three bedrooms, four bedrooms, five bedrooms, pool, cinema, two garage, four garage, one level, two level, all of those investigative questions that a builder will ask you to try and quantify the cost of the house. So if you can come to me and say, Luke, we need seventy dollars to $90,000 and here's how we'd like to do it. Here's what we're working with, how sustainable is our income and, and what will we need to take out of our capital? You can get some real clarity around what you're working with. So when you retire, you really need to have a handle on what do I need and then how do I take it? So we've just touched on a lump sum. The other option is you start a pension. Now, the word pension does not mean fortnight. Okay, I find a lot of people come in and it's got a lot to do with the defined benefit system that we have here with the government, but also um, the way that Centrelink payments are generally paid on a fortnightly basis. People come in and go, I'm going to start a pension, but I don't want that much a fortnight. And I say, who said you need to take it on a fortnightly basis? And they look at me and go, how can I have it? You can have it any way you want it within the rules of the fund that you're in. That could be fortnightly, that could be monthly, that could be quarterly, that could be semi-annually, that could be once a year on the 1st of June. The only requirement that you have when you start a pension is that within the financial year, you draw the legislated minimum on a percentage basis for your age. So 55 to 64, 4%. 65, 74, 5% and so on. The older you get, the more you need to draw. Now, when you start a pension, you can take any amount you want, provided that you've met that condition of release that we spoke about earlier. So if you want to start a pension and in five years rip $200,000 a year out of your million, you can do that. Is that a good thing to do? Maybe, maybe not. But It's about understanding how the money comes out and the two primary ways to draw money out of super is one, a lump sum, and two, a pension. Now, that frequency is completely at your discretion to fund the way that you want to live. You can also have a pension and take lump sums out of it as well. So what I mean by that is this. I've got a million dollars in my super fund and I'm taking $5,000 a month as a regular pension payment, but I need that 70,000. So I've got 60 coming as a pension, but I want 70,000 as my ultimate number. You could get 5,000 a month, there's 60,000, and you could take a $10,000 lump sum as well, that gets you to your 70,000 lifestyle cost. So there is a lot of flexibility around drawing money in a way that suits how you live, because it could be that you want to pay off some debts. You might want to give some money to some kids. You might want to you know, pay down the investment property when you retire. There's a raft of reasons that you could use both options, um, but it's always about maintaining the most liquidity and flexibility as well as the most tax efficiency available. So I guess one sort of example of that would be you might decide that you need to have a particular level of income to meet your day-to-day living expenses, but on top of that, you might reach a point where you need to replace your car, for example. So you could take a lump sum payment out to help with the purchase of a new car. 100%. And that's where it just comes down to how you want to live and the things that pop up in your life. 
you might want to take the grandkids on a holiday. You might want to have two trips a year, one in March and one in November. So you've got your day-to-day, what we could call fixed costs, and then you've got your discretionary spending for the ad hoc purchases like cars and boats and fishing rods and golf clubs and, you know, anything that buys you a little bit of time with the lads so you can go away and do something and, um, and, and you know, your partner can have some peace and quiet while you're off doing whatever interests you. So what should people keep in mind when it comes to funding their retirement from their super savings? Yeah, so I think a great starting point is know what you're going to need to live on. One of the big sort of frustrations that I come across regularly is people come in and say, can I retire? And I say, what do you need? And they say, I don't know. And then I flip a coin and go, maybe. When you've come in for clarity, you've come in for peace of mind, you've come in for confirmation, come in with part of the answer. Because I can't tell you what to live on because I might say, well, it's this much. Because for over two decades, people have come in and sat down and I've said, what do you need? And the first line out of their mouth will be, Luke, we're just average people. We're not extravagant. And I went, okay, I'm yet to meet anybody that is, but that's nice to know. And the next line out of their mouth could be, I just need 50 grand a year to live. Or as I had a couple of weeks ago, I just need $400,000 a year to live, but I still shop at Target. Mm-hmm. Then I asked her if she was trying to buy Target. Um, but there's a great example of everybody's perception of what is normal because I also get, well, what does everyone else do? It doesn't really matter. What do you need to do with the resources that you have? So know what you need, understand the tax profile of your super fund, understand if there are any large capital items coming up because you'll need to allow for that. So you may not invest certain amounts of money depending on the timing of when things are due, like you said before. I need a car in six months or I need a car when I retire. Well, you're probably not going to go and invest all of the money because then you have to sell assets to buy things. Think about knowing your cash flow requirements so that you can keep 12 to 18 months of that amount of money in cash in your fund. Because if we do see ongoing volatility like we've seen off the back of what's happening in the Middle East, we can see markets go up and down and show increased signs of of positive and negative movements. So if you've got 12 to 18 months of what you know you need already in the cash account, you've bought yourself 12, 18, 24 months of security and peace of mind. So knowing what you need to live on and what you need to fund is important for that reason. Consider your investment costs if you're going to retire. So have a look at your broader asset allocation and say, is that appropriate for me? Because Another big misconception for me is people say, oh, I'm getting older now, I've retired, I need to be more conservative. And I say to them, so you don't need a good strong income stream? Yes, I do. And you don't want growth to offset inflation? Yes, I do. So you could argue that to a large extent, your risk profile up to your retirement date would actually continue to be appropriate, provided that you're not already way too aggressive. But if you had a suitable mix of growth and defensive assets, whether you're 55, 65 or 85, those two things, good strong income and growth to offset inflation, are the two things that are most important to 99% of people that come in. So if you are too defensive, you're not going to generate enough income, although rising cash rates has helped us. Um, And if you're too aggressive, you could see very large swings in the value of assets if we start to see negative periods of investment. And that could be driven by something that is completely out of anyone's control. Again, like what we're seeing to a large extent with the the, the multiple wars that are on in the world at the moment. So 
understand your asset allocation, understand your underlying investments, make sure that the investments that you hold are generating good, strong income. Because you can invest in companies that provide very small levels of income. You can invest in companies and investments that provide very high levels of income. So you need to look at the portfolio in totality and understand what do I need to live on? How much of that am I generating from my income? Because that can then lead to really good control over franking credits and other tax-effective resources that you have available to you to try and maximise the reoccurring nature of the income that comes out of your fund so that you've got as much peace of mind as possible. And then the last one is remember to sell assets in pension phase because an account-based pension is free from capital gains tax. So be mindful of how you restructure your assets and think about doing it when you've commenced the pension as opposed to in accumulation phase when you may face capital gains tax expenses. So that's an important difference, isn't it, between the accumulation phase and the pension phase Mm. where one is taxed and the other is not? Hugely, that's right. So earnings inside a super fund in accumulation phase are taxed at 15%. A pension account is internally tax-free and free from capital gains tax. So if you bought CBA for $40 and you sell it for 100, in a super fund you'll pay tax, in a pension account you'll pay nothing. So again, be strategic about when you restructure things so that you've got as much control and flexibility over your retirement assets as possible. Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio today and we're talking about what happens to my super when I retire. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Canberra Live with Leon Delaney. Call now. 6255-1206 on 2CC. It's a Friday afternoon and Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio. Today we're talking about what happens to my super when I retire. We've covered a lot of ground so far, Luke, but Mm. what are the key things to consider when you retire and you want to start spending your money? Yeah, so the first thing I'd do is consider if you're in the right type of fund. Now, all super funds are different and the analogy I use regularly is a super fund is a lot like a car. Tradies drive utes for a reason. It's very hard to get some heavy machinery in the back of a Mini. That doesn't mean we don't like Minis, but if I'm a tradie and I need to carry a whole load of stuff around, I need a vehicle that will give me the flexibilities that I particularly need. Think of a super fund the same way. What do you want in a super fund? Most people say to me, I want low cost, great investment choices, the ability to generate a really strong income stream, and the ability to maximise franking credits, whoever Frank is, most people know that he's pretty good um, and they want to use him to their advantage. He's a generous guy around tax time. Exactly right. So again, it's not that one is better or worse. You need to look at the functionality of the fund you're in and does it give you the things that are important to you. Then consider how are my funds invested? What is my asset allocation? Am I too aggressive? Not enough. Um, I then look and say, If I'm in a generic profile, what is the mix or composition of assets? We've discussed in the past, nobody really knows what balance means. And being in a balanced fund can mean very, very different things in relation to the exposure of growth and defensive assets that you maintain. Or the analogy I use regularly is the speed at which the car drives. So if you can stay 90 to 110 in a 100 zone, you're generally not going to get a ticket and you'll get where you're going. If you're Ooh, too def- I don't know. If you're 110, they're pretty, <laughs> they're pretty serious about that sort of thing. Outside of Victoria. Um, if you're too defensive, then you may not generate the income or get the growth you need. So think about how that's mixed. Think about what you need. What's your number? Have an understanding of what you need because that will then have a direct impact on 
the longevity of your capital and the income that you need to generate. Make sure you're using franking credits. You know, Frank is, is very generous, so use him to your advantage. And if you're in a fund that doesn't allow you to control that, think about going to one that does. We touched before the ad break on managing assets. So look at your individual holdings. If you've amassed a 25% exposure to BHP, as lovely as BHP may be or CBA or any other holding, think about what would happen if they came under pressure. So whilst we may love something, we don't want to love it that much because it's causing individual asset risk um, and you don't need that when you don't have the capacity to earn more money because you've retired. And then lastly, think about the disposal and the timing of disposal because a pension is a tax-free structure. Great way to limit or impact um, your overall tax position is to sell assets in pension phase because they are exempt from capital gains tax, unlike in accumulation phase when you're going to pay some tax. So be strategic about when you sell assets and remember that a pension does not mean fortnight. Understand how you want your fixed cost paid and know that you can take additional pension payments or lump sums out of the fund during the year to fund the lifestyle that you've been working very hard to try and and cultivate over your working career. And I guess when you do reach the end of your working life and you decide to transition from accumulation to pension, uh, the simple thing is you just have to fill out the paperwork. That's it. That's exactly right. It's it's You stay with the same provider if you want and all you really do is notify them, hey, I have met that condition of release, that, that retirement definition that we spoke about before the ad break and now I'd like to move to X. And they'll ask you for a bank account. They'll make sure that you've met that condition of release so you can retire. They'll ask you where you want it paid, how much you would like, um, and, and all of that is done and facilitated by the super fund. It's not a difficult thing to do, so be prepared, and it makes it that little bit easier. Indeed. So, Luke, where can listeners get more information? Yeah, so office number 62604749. We've got envisionfinancial.com.au on the internet. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stacker. Luke talks money on iTunes and Spotify. We've got the YouTube channel, Envision Financial Canberra. We've got shorts on there. We've got the handle, The Strategy Stacker, on the Tiki Tocker, and all of these types of sort of strategic considerations are all in Smart Money Strategy, your ultimate guide to financial planning, which is in all good bookstores and online at Amazon and Booktopia. Sensational. Luke, thanks very much for popping by, and we'll catch you again next Friday. See you next week. Luke Smith from Envision Financial, back in the studio here at 2CC once again at the same time next Friday.